Peter, the meeting is all yours. Excellent. Well, then I would like to, well, Danielle, quick question. We have a new face here, a new member. If we would like to put Daniel Smith on the spot to introduce himself to the group, would that be appropriate before we get going? Uh, this is Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Let me go through my quick um, reminders for the meeting, and then I think doing uh, introductions would be uh, absolutely appropriate. Excellent. Very good. Thank you. You are very welcome. Um, so I'm going to provide a couple procedural reminders for our virtual meeting here this morning. Um, it is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public uh, cable channel 25. Um, during the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, I may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video camera on or off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, when you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, it is okay to turn your video off. You will still be able to listen to the meeting when your video is off. You'll just have to remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating will help make sure that the active meeting participants can be seen actively participating and avoid distraction during the meeting. You can always turn your video back on. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom somewhere on the screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker and gallery view tiles all of the meeting participants. Uh, board members and city staff members, you must state your name and title each time you speak. All motions need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. Uh, chair, you will need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. Uh, when public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right hand corner of the screen. And for those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute your listening device. State your name before speaking. The chair will call, then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. A staff present will direct you to the podium following social distancing and safety protocols. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chair. You can uh, go ahead and do um, introductions, and um, we also will need to do a roll call just to make sure we know who all is uh, currently in the meeting. Perfect. Um, I guess leading the charge, my name's Peter Carter, Chair, and um, I'd like to thank all of you for attending today. I know it doesn't fit into everyone's schedule uh, with the, the joys of of, of Zoom, it makes it more convenient, but it's still an issue. So uh, uh, Peter Carter Chair, I was particularly interested in 
meeting the uh, the new Leah, um, uh, Daniel Welcome. Uh, perhaps you could take a moment to tell the group a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you, Peter. Uh, my name is Daniel B. Smith. I'm the Director of Marketing and Resource Development at the United Way of Douglas County. Uh, as you said, I am the new Leah, uh, meaning I am the designated United Way uh, person on, on this uh, board now. Um, and I'm excited to be here. Um, I think you and I have actually met before, and I, I definitely know Mandy. She and I worked together at Van Gogh um, back in the day. Um, so I'm happy to represent United Way on this board, um, and I'm happy to be here with you all. Excellent. So uh, do we want to run around the room since we've never, since adding Tim and Amanda, uh, I don't know that we've ever had a chance to say hello. Uh, perhaps we could run through if that'd be all right. Hi, uh, this is a board member. Uh, this is Joda Totten. Hello, welcome. Hi, Joda. Are you are you the salon on Sixth Street, Joda? I'm sorry. What? No, no, I'm not. I get that act. Um, it was asked frequently, and I've never heard of another Joda. Um, but no, we're not the same. You can look by my hair and you can tell that I am not in the profession. I'm Mandy, uh, field, go by Mandy. Um, my connection to social services is through being spent a lot of time there. Part of that time was with Dan Smith and sometimes Tim Giblin and uh, one of our members who's not on Chris Cohart. So, um, Vango has a historical uh, presence on this board, but not a not a current one. Um, and I'm just excited to be back in the in the mix. And I am Tim Giblin. I work for an event company based out of Kansas City, so uh, work with a a lot of groups similar to um, uh, Mandy's when. Uh, when she was at Van Gogh. Fantastic. Um, oh, I, in the interest of evening things out, uh, Peter Carter, um, by profession, I'm an engineer. I spent uh, many years uh, working on performance, um, perform performance metrics for people who didn't like to be measured. And the, the point is how you, can, how you can show people their own North Star without necessarily getting in the, the way of their good works. And that really is my entire focus on, on being here. So very good. Then if I may, uh, it looks like Ethan and Chris are not present, but uh, if I may, I'd like to uh, call the meeting to order this Friday, the May the 21st meeting of the Special Alcohol Funding Advisory Board. And uh, the first item on our agenda, it looks like um, we should approve the meetings for the March 5th uh, meeting. Uh, if Has everyone had a chance to look over the minutes to 
to see if anyone's name was misspelled or or emotions misrepresented. Um, if everyone found it acceptable, do uh, or are there any comments with regard to the minutes? I thought they looked good. Okay, do I hear a motion to approve? So moved. Mandy Enfield here, I move to approve the minutes. And I apologize, I didn't have my mic down before. Could anybody even hear anything I was saying? Okay. Uh, Tim Giblin, board member, I will second that. Perfect. Uh, so moved and uh, moved uh, by Mandy and seconded by Tim. All in favor? Oh, should we do a uh, uh, a roll call, Danielle? Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Yes, please do. Okay, very good. Um, uh, Joda? Present. And in favor? Oh, I beg your pardon. Yes, in favor. All right. Uh, uh, Tim? Yes. Amanda? Yes. Daniel? Yes. And Peter, I, all in, uh, so the, that is what, five? Motion carried unanimously. And the next agenda item, well, actually the first agenda item, but uh, uh, reviewing the 2020 annual reports provided by agencies and provide direction on the board's 2020 annual report. Um, do, does anyone have comments specific to individual reports? Would we like to go through these individually or uh, if there are not specific report, uh, specific issues, we uh, last year uh, approved them um, as a group, uh, does anyone want to to address specific issues with specific annual reports? I I didn't have any specific uh, Mandy Enfield here. I didn't have any specific issues with the reports. I was just wondering. I think um, most of us are maybe just at our first or second meeting, we don't have a ton of historical knowledge with this group. And I was wondering maybe from Danielle or Joda, I think you've been here the longest of all of us, if there's any historical information that, that would be relevant or useful, um, like context or anything huge that we might not know that related to the reports, or is it is it just as straightforward as it seems? This is uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Um, I would say it is relatively straightforward. Um, the um, annual application or the the report that agencies fill out annually is um, approved ultimately by the board before we send it out and have the agencies fill it out. It has seen um, a little bit of modification over the last couple years. Um, really, the the two areas of modification that the board has really talked about over the last couple years are. Um, tying the um, 
the report to the outcomes that are identified in the actual application to kind of figure out whether or not those um, objectives that have been identified were met. Um, and then the other area is the question kind of related to um, sharing kind of a success story. Um, so one of the things that I think typically is discussed in these is some of those success stories um, and is one of the things uh, that this board has kind of talked about over the last couple years, being able to kind of personalize um, these dollars and, and how they're spent with also balancing that out with some of the more objective measures in those outcomes to say, you know, were the outcomes that were identified met um, and kind of balancing the qualitative and the quantitative um, portion of the application to be able to report out on it. Um, so I'd say generally that has kind of been the history. I think last year specifically the board talked a little bit about um, adding to this annual report a little bit to um, talk a little bit more about community impact. Um, but there was kind of a discussion at that point that we don't necessarily have the report structured in a way that we can really um, easily make that determination. Um, so that may be one thing that um, the board may want to kind of continue that discussion, um, particularly as we look to um, how do you want the 2022 uh, report form to be structured. Um, and that will be a discussion that we have at our next meeting, but may be informed by some of the conversation you all have today about um, what information did you find helpful, what information did you find maybe not as helpful. Um, but I know there has been uh, an effort by this board to make sure that those reports aren't too onerous, uh, but do provide you all with the information and the context you need to make good decisions and, and know uh, whether or not those dollars were spent um, as, as intended. So. Those have really been kind of the high-level conversations that have happened over the last couple years. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Danielle. That that was perfect because you know the this year's reading of the annual reports I thought was particularly satisfying from the standpoint of the anecdotal stories were particularly powerful in communicating some of the the specific results that that come from what they are doing that help you understand how they apply their services and and who rece receives their services at the same time you know the uh, um the application of the three objectives which was the other side of what what danielle was talking about while it, you know the the focus in the last couple of years has been to try and get agencies to focus on outcomes that are truly outcomes that as opposed to, um, you know, my, my example has always been, um, you know, if you're plowing snow, we plowed 900 miles of snow last night without really seeing how well you plowed that, or we served 28,000 people but without providing the group an understanding of the quality or, or end result of, of serving those 28,000. So this year, generally speaking, I for one was, was relatively pleased with the direction of things. The, the stories were good and, and the, the outcomes were for the most part pointed in the right direction and indicating that the agencies 
are thinking about, you know, what their North Star is. I, I, I like the outcomes as well, Paul, or Peter, and uh, sorry about that. And uh, I, I appreciate your explanation of them. Um, I, I really liked these, this report with the, you know, like having done these reports in, in the past, um, I liked that the outcome section was, was really clear and um, I've lost my train of thought, but it, it was going to end up at um, our, how are we thinking about the COVID impact? These, these reports are related to um, work that was done during COVID and required a lot of um, adaptation, adaptations and being nimble. And I thought um, the, the reports, some of them spoke really well to those shifts, particularly the uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters one. Um, and I just appreciate um, the work um, that was put into them and what was explained. Um, and I don't really have any any thoughts or comments related to that, but I thought it was something we should acknowledge that that the outcomes will be impacted by COVID or have been. Excellent. I, I think that's a very good addition. Any other comments? All right, then. Um, from that standpoint, Danielle, I believe last year our recommendation was that to the city commission for the report was was simply that we found the the annual reports uh, acceptable and and didn't find any further action was required as a result. So is that a fair characterization? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison, yes. Um, the, the report that we typically put together is very high level, a brief section of kind of about the background, number of agencies that were awarded funding, the amount, that sort of thing, um, and then a section that basically says, Peter, exactly what you just said, that all of the uh, reports were submitted and, and found to be um, sufficient for the board's um, needs. And then if we want to, and we've gone back and forth on this, we could call out specifically uh, Big Brothers and Big Sisters to acknowledge um, that they did a, a good job in kind of identifying the, the COVID impact. So if that's something that there's general consensus on and I'm trying to read head nods, um, that's something we can add to that um, report. And we will bring that to you all for final consideration before we forward it onto the city commission. Um, so you will see that the actual language that is used um, at your next meeting so that you can approve that and forward it to the commission. Um, stating that, that you have reviewed everything. So I think I have what I need unless there are any other um, additional items you'd like included in that report. Uh, Mandy Enfield here. I, I, I do really like the, the Big Brothers Big Sisters report and think it's exceptional and wonderful, but I don't feel confident that I read them all um, with that mindset to, to be able to fairly call one, one report out over the other. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to, to be the one that that asks for that in the final city report. Uh, 
Peter Carter chair. Uh, I, I would second that, uh, you know, the, the uh, um, let me see, the Ballard Center showed some pretty remarkable nimbleness in, in responding to specific COVID problems. There were, uh, there were quite a number who were impacted negatively, well, if not all of them, who had to adjust, you know, DCCC had to, especially their inpatient services had to very significantly alter the way they delivered. So what I might suggest, Danielle, is, is that we commend all, all of the agencies who had to, to adjust their, their important services to accommodate the, the difficulties of, of um, the, the pandemic, um, if that, that sounds acceptable to folks. See, uh, agree by nodding. Mandy <laughs> uh, Enfield here, Peter, I agree. Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison, we can certainly accommodate that. Peter Carter, Chair. Uh, Danielle, would you like a, a motion to approve? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. At this point, uh, I don't think we need that. I think the conversation was sufficient. Um, and then at your next meeting, we'll bring back the actual report so that you can um, review that. So um, at this point, really just discussion um, is sufficient. So I, I really appreciate the conversation around it. Fantastic. Thank you. Item two on our agenda is review funding application for 2022 and modify the application process as appropriate. Um, based on discussion items from earlier, some of the, the topics that we were, we were talking about were uh, requesting additional financial information and adding a checklist that it's um, items which Danielle has uh, put in the agenda requiring a, a presentation of some of the agencies, um, asking applicants for on-site visits, uh, pre-application meeting to review board expectations, as well as a scoring matrix. Um, you know, when, when we had our first meeting with Mandy and Christopher and Tim, there was considerable discussion about the 990 um, and whether a 990 is a 990 or not, or when it can be called. But a question I had for you, Danielle, that relates to the overall um, um, requesting of additional financial information. When an agency checks the box on the existing form that says they have never filled out financial information or have never filled out a 990, um, does that automatically mean they don't provide any financial information? I was leading, reading over the, the uh, form this morning and that was a question that came up. Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Um, I would say typically, yes, there isn't really a, um, if you don't do this, then this additional information is required. Um, so as we kind of talked about um, at our last meeting when we were reviewing um, 2021 applications, um, that box was selected as no, 
or we had received kind of that shortened 990, which doesn't really have a whole lot of, it, it really doesn't have a whole lot of financial information on it. Um, so I think that's really where this um, kind of bullet point came from is, do we want to add that kind of language on the application that says, if you don't have a full 990EZ that you submit, um, is there additional kind of financial information that you all want? I would say if, a full 990 um, is not required based on the agency's um, level of spending or you know receipt of uh, proceeds. They probably are not doing a full-fledged financial audit either. Um, that's a pretty high um, bar to set for an agency that um, spends less than $50,000 a year. So um, that's really where this kind of question came from is if you don't have the full fledged financial audit, you don't have the full 990, um, is there supplemental information that we want to ask agencies to submit on the front end of the application so that you all have that as you're reviewing the application? So I know we got that for the one agency we talked about kind of after the fact. Um, really, I think the question is, do we want to add something on the application to say, we want that submitted with the application um, if we don't have these other two kind of um, layers of that financial detail from the agency? Peter Carter, Chair, very good. Um, yeah, I think that that is the basic question. I'm uh, sorry that Chris isn't here today since he, he seemed to focus on that pretty strongly. I don't pretend to be uh, a, a tax expert or a, a federal forum expert. So I um, would it be appropriate to, you know, I to collect the, I, uh, the minimum basic information. Um, how would how would you recommend we proceed uh, without any tax experts on present? Does any? Uh, I'll leave it open for comment. This is uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff lead, and I'm curious. I, I want you all to consider it, um, but I think based on the conversation we had, it could be, we could reframe kind of that final question to say um, a 990, if not available, then supplemental financial information and, and leave it a little bit more broad and generic. Um, so I, I think that would be something for you all to consider just to make sure that we have some type of financial information um, that, that you all can make decisions based on. So I think that would kind of be from the staff perspective, I think what our recommendation would be. Uh, but obviously you all are reviewing those applications. So if that's not helpful to you all, um, that's a conversation that needs to be had. Mandy Enfield here, looking at um, the applications, I didn't, you know, like cross compare every single one of them. Are we talking about maybe just one organization of the 20, 2020 reports that did not have a 990, the, the really small, um, smaller organization? Is that the only one who didn't have a 990? Uh, this Danielle Bushcutter, uh, staff liaison. It was actually related to the 2021 um, application 
allocation process. But yes, it was one agency that didn't meet the threshold for the full-fledged 990. And I think that dollar amount, if memory serves, is $50,000. Um, so if you spend less than that, you can submit an abbreviated 990, which really just has um, kind of the principal officer, the name of the agency, um, and I think there's one or two other kind of pieces of information, but it's not really a financial document at that point until you hit, <clears throat> excuse me, over that $50,000 threshold, and then you get the longer form 990 that does have that financial information on it. But yes, in terms of scope, uh, we're really just talking about one agency that I'm aware of at this point. I think the others have all um, exceeded that $50,000 threshold and provided the full 990. Peter Carter, Chair. So, Danielle, the, the specific questions that we would ask, where would those, where would you like those questions to come from? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. I think it's most appropriate to still include that in that section six um, and just say, um, add some language in there about if a 990 is not available, if a financial audit is not available, then some supplemental financial information is required. Um, and I think it may be helpful if we do put together a checklist for that to be on I think it, it'll be clear in that checklist too to say financial information is required, and it can take the it can take these different forms, um, and and we can kind of approach it in that manner if that is um, how you all would uh, be comfortable with it. But I think that uh, that supplemental information section is the one that is most appropriate to include that language in. Agreed. Okay. So, and uh, Peter Carter, chair, and with this, these questions are coming from us, or are you suggesting questions that might serve? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison, I would like to know from you all what information you would deem acceptable um, so that we can draft up some language that you can, you can react to. Peter Carter, Chair, very good. Um, <clears throat> if we are going to proceed, I, I think it makes perfect sense to have basic questions. Uh, what I would like to do is, is see if we can get Chris's input of, uh, as to specific verbiage that would be appropriate and see if he can forward that that to you or uh, present it for the next meeting. Would that work, Danielle? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Yes, uh, I plan on bringing the revised application, whatever that looks like to you all at your next meeting. Um, so you will have an opportunity at that point and hopefully Chris will be there, but I can also reach out to him in the interim and say, um, you know, this was one of the items we talked about. Um, do you have any recommendations uh, for the board to consider at your next meeting? So I can, I will reach out to him after this meeting and, and see if he has any thoughts on it. Peter Carter, chair, that would be perfect. Thank you. Uh, another issue that we were discussing um, with regard to the the application form is is adding a checklist, and I think that makes 
perfect sense, a means of, at the end of the report, say, did you provide your 990? Did you provide financial information? And, and a single look, not only for us to see that they did, but for them to see that they did not. Mandy, Mandy Enfield here. I think that's a wonderful idea. As an applicant, I appreciate checklists. And as a reviewer, I appreciate checklists. Um, <clears throat> thinking about the, what we just, or just the conversation we just had about the 990 and then a checklist, um, the the impression I'm getting from the group is that, that we are we do value fostering um, applicants. So we want to be accessible to new organizations where, you know, we're allowing pathways to people who don't have large budgets. And I think that's all really wonderful. And I think uh, a checklist fits with that. Um, and I wonder if that could be a place where it would be appropriate um, to have a, to have a statement or, you know, like we're talking about with the 990 other options for, for what you could submit just a, you know, really, welcoming um, accessible statement about if you have questions, please reach out to, you know, whom, I don't know, I don't want to send everyone to Danielle and, and overwork her, but, you know, could we have a, have something on there that's like, please, please email if you're unsure about, you know, portions of the application. I know when I've done uh, the transient guest tax applications, Porter has always been really helpful when I, when I need, you know, even just like, I can't email my PDF. It's too big or something like that. So um, I think that might be a, a good, good thing to do to just really make the process accessible and welcoming and foster a pipeline of, of new organizations and applicants. Uh, Joda Totten, board member. I think that's an excellent idea. Um, I have had the same issues uh, trying to find someone to uh, answer any questions. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great idea. The checklist and then uh, a notation that if you have any questions, contact this person. I like you. Hate to put it all on Danielle. So that might be something we would need to determine, but I really like that idea. Peter Carter, Chair, Danielle, this is your opportunity to respond since again, we're all, we're all looking in your direction. Is what would the appropriate uh, avenue be? In? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. I think the appropriate uh, person would be the, the staff liaison, um, absolutely. So um, I think it's a it's a good addition um, to the process. And I think one of the next items that you'll be talking about is the pre-application meeting as well, which again, I think is another opportunity um, to kind of open that up for additional applicants um, and maybe reach some of those agencies we haven't been able to reach before. So I'm certainly happy to put my name in that blank and, and kind of serve in that capacity. Um, and I think it would be the appropriate place for that uh, to be housed. Peter Carter, Chair, thank you again. Uh, and that's probably a very good segue to uh, the topic of pre-application meeting to review board expectations. Uh, Danielle, would you remind us uh, what that 
how that might look. Yeah, uh, Danielle, but staff liaison. Um, so some of our um, uh, agencies or uh, other boards kind of do a version of this, but really it is just having kind of an hour identified um, for agencies that are interested in applying and asking them to join us for about an hour to kind of walk through the application, uh, what the expectations are, what we're looking for, what a completed application is, where to direct your questions, all of those sort of things um, that I, we haven't done with this board for a really long time. I think uh, we we did um, probably several years ago at this point um, before any of the current board members were on the board, but I think having that kind of point of contact and having that meeting um, available um, so that we can really um, ask everyone to come in, get everyone in a room or a virtual room to kind of walk through everything and walk through those expectations would be helpful, um, not only for you on the back end when you're reviewing, but also for us to hopefully um, answer those questions that we get pretty regularly um, that we can just address those in a meeting with everybody there so everybody's hearing uh, the same direction and the same guidance so um, that's really what that is kind of um, intended to do is is provide that opportunity for um, agencies to ask those questions and and we can really walk through the application um, in much greater detail than we have before Peter Carter chair so you see this this meeting as being a meeting where the applicant candidates are coming together with the board members and staff so that everyone can be clear on what everyone's expectations and needs are. Is that correct? Uh, Neil Bushcutter, staff liaison. I was not anticipating you all as board members attending that meeting. I was expecting it to be more uh, just the applicants and, and city staff. Um, if we wanted it to be uh, added to the uh, board uh, meeting list, we certainly could. But that was not the. Um, that's not what I was um, expecting or anticipating, unless that is the direction you all would like to go in. I was thinking more of the applicants and staff. Excellent. Thank you for the clarification. Further comments? Mandy Enfield here. Um, uh, I think that those meetings are wonderful and, and super helpful, and I'm glad we are going to do them. If we end up doing it over Zoom, if it's not at, at done during an in-person um, moment, um, I would like to take advantage of, of the opportunity to record the meeting and have it available to applicants who weren't able to attend or people who want to go back and, and review the information if that's possible. Um, I don't think we need to explore recording it and posting it online if it ends up being in person, but I think it's um, if it's already on Zoom and being recorded, it would be a nice thing to offer. Zoda Totten, board member. Um, I would, I would like. Um, I think that's a good idea. I would like to hear from these people, my in, you know, myself. So, if it's recorded, then we as board members can get a feeling, or uh, get a feeling for, for, um, I don't know, just the agency and just learning about. You know how I don't know. I just would like to have access to some of this information, whether it's in a meeting that we have 
hopefully it will be in person at that time. But um, Zoom would be fine. It's just that I, I would like to, if possible, see from the person directly what what their comments are and how they see using the funds that that we provide them. Dean will be Smith. Uh, I'm new, so of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm a little bit confused as to um, why there's not more eligibility listed on the application itself. I feel like um, multiple people have talked about uh, the applicants as being agencies, but I don't really see any specific language on the form as explaining what those eligibility requirements are. And from, from my personal experience, that's often a question people have when applying to things. Um, I get lots of emails about that personally. Uh, so instead of necessarily following up and having conversations to answer some of those questions, I'm wondering if we had more of that eligibility information listed on the application, we might reduce some of those follow-up questions. Peter Carter, Chair, that uh, Danielle, I'd, I'd like a, a, a comment from you with regard to uh, how we communicate to agencies. You know who's who's eligible and who's not is an early screening process. You know regarding Daniel's comment. Uh, yeah, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Um, so really the, what we focus on, we, we put out a press release that says the application is now available. We put it up on our website. Uh, we typically reach out to agencies that have um, um, requested dollars uh, previously uh, if we have their contact information. Um, and really in terms of the eligibility, I think we focus a little bit more on the intent of the funds um, and really we have to stay within that charter ordinance 33 in terms of what we can utilize these dollars for. Um, so I, I would say typically we have focused more on that side of it and less on um, whether or not an, an individual could apply if you have to be a 501c3, um, you know, some of those kind of other criteria um, for eligibility. Um, so that's something we could certainly um, have conversations about um, and and get included um, in the application and be much more intentional about it. I think it's something we haven't really run into before. We've typically seen um, 501c3s, um, and so it hasn't been a conversation that I, I in my um, experience with the board, that we've really talked about in great detail. But um, I think it would be a, a good conversation to to have and um, to make sure is is really clear in the actual application itself. Dean B. Smith, uh, thank you for, for um, clarifying that. I would definitely be excited to see a little bit more information like that, um, partially just letting people know that uh, non-501c3s are eligible. Um, I'm always very, and the United Way is always very, um, very uh, into supporting uh, individuals and smaller agencies, which might be on the road to getting 501c3 status and have you know, some smaller grassroots organizations and stuff like that. So I, I, would, I would appreciate talking about that more down, down the road. All right, Peter Carter, Chair. Um, what I am trying to do uh, is pull up the application to to see 
what the application says specifically, because there is some introductory verbiage that that relates, but but perhaps Daniel, to your point, it does not say anything along the lines of non five hundred C three are in fact eligible. Daniel Bushcutter Staffley is on. It does it does not to that level of detail. Okay. Okay. Very good. Danielle, how should we proceed with regard to that? Is that enough information? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Yeah, I think we can, um, based on this discussion, um, kind of update that um, cover page and include some additional language in there that you all could consider at your next meeting. Um, Danielle, if you have uh, language that you guys utilize and, and would recommend, um, I would be very happy to see that language, and you're more than welcome to pass that along, and uh, we, can, we can get that added in here. There's no sense reinventing the wheel if you already have something that works really well and um, we can we can do our follow-up and get that added for your next meeting. Peter Carter, Chair, excellent, thank you. And uh, another item relating to the application form that we've sort of been dancing around this topic and it, it relates to how to get information about each agency or each group to board members. We've talked about requiring presentations during the application process, and we've talked about um, uh, asking for site visits. Um, what I'd like to do is just open the floor to discussion of what it is the group's expectations and getting learning about each of these groups. Be Smith. Uh, I think presentations would be fantastic. I also think um, I think site visits would, would also be great. Obviously, right now, I think it's uh, not necessarily plausible to require site visits. Going forward, maybe we could incorporate that, or that could um, be optional. But I, I think presentation would be totally totally reasonable request for for applicants. Mandy Enfield here. Um, when I was thinking, I don't have a, I don't have any answers to this right now. But my major thought when I was reading these is we're looking at organizations who are receiving nine thousand dollars and organizations that are receiving three hundred thousand dollars, and the expectations um, for that for those two types of organizations um, might need to be different. Uh, definitely, the impact of of the application process is gonna be different for them. So I think the expectations um, might need to be adjusted depending on the amount you receive or the size of the organization. But then I wonder, um, you know, is there, do, do we get ourselves into trouble if we start having different requirements for different groups? And I don't, I don't know um, how that works, but if, if we can't have any division or, or a different standards, not standards, but different requirements, um, I think we would have to defer to the to the smallest organization when we make our decisions. Um, and and if we if we do value, you know, make this pipelining and being being accessible, and, and those are those are my values. I know we haven't said it as a group. Um, I think we would we would have to 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 craft our make our decisions based on on the smallest one. 
Peter Carter chair. Uh, I agree. And it, not only is the size an issue, but the, the function of the group. You know, there are some of these organizations that I absolutely would not want to make any requirement that we be allowed to just show up at. Uh, you know, the, the, their work being done most efficiently and positively is, is, the, is the priority. Um, so that that does tilt us in the direction of presentations. Um, the one of the the things that we were considering was that in the process of submitting applications, or um, we could say that an organization should make a presentation to the group because. Um, this, this agency or this uh, advisory board last year uh, or the year before last was dealing with, I don't recall, Danielle, did we have 40 applications or between the general fund and the special alcohol fund, we had way too many organizations to even consider having it dragging people in and giving a meaningful report. Well, now that we've got maybe 10, it, it's not so unreasonable to, to hope that we might be able to line groups up and, and have a, a presentation and at the presentation, give us an opportunity to ask them questions about how they run and, you know, uh, either why their dishwasher broke down or, or, you know, how it, just whatever comes to mind. So I think that's, that might be a, a reasonable solution to some of these issues. Mandy Enfield here. Um, oh, sorry, Dan, quick, quick question. We're talking about um, presentations at the point of uh, application before we review the applications, right? Not like at the review um, reporting point, right? This is Danielle Bushcutter Staffley is on as it presented here. Yes, it would be at the time of the you all uh, consider their application for funding. Peter Carter chair, so we would have an opportunity to go over their application. Uh, become acquainted with what it is they're asking for, come up with our individual questions, then they, at the consideration of their applications meeting, would, it, it would mean for a uh, significantly longer meeting probably, but but that's okay, if it, it to me at least, if it's one meeting for one meeting a year, or if we had so many we had to break it up into multiple meetings, that would be fine too, uh, I think. DLB Smith, yeah, I agree that considering it is one meeting a year, I think I'm personally fine with having it become a longer affair. I think what Mandy said was was really um, important, though, that it is it is important to take the size of, of the uh, applicant and, and to um, keep that in mind. So, I mean, I think potentially we could have a, a very modest baseline requirement, a very short presentation, just introducing um, the agency and being willing to take questions and we could have verbiage essentially um, suggesting that if an agency is larger and is uh, interested in more funding they should consider 
um, an optional site visit and um, requesting a longer presentation. I think that would allow people to have to have a baseline, pretty modest expectation, but have the ability to um, do a, a longer presentation and, and get more in depth if they were seeking more funding. Mandy Enfield here, Dan, I think that's perfect. I love the, uh, like, you know, just a few minutes, introduce yourself, the organization, the application, then be available for questions. So it's, they're not showing up with a 15 minute PowerPoint. Excellent. Peter Carter, Chair. Um, <clears throat> Danielle, um, how would you have us put a bow on this topic? I, I think it sounds like the group, as 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 a group, generally we're, we're pointing in the direction of of asking for a, a presentation um, at the time of consideration of the applications. Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Um, that is, that's what I got out of it as well. Um, I think what I would suggest um, and what I'll bring back for your consideration is some language to that effect in kind of that application information section um, that says at a minimum the expectation is that if you apply for funding, and, and this will be something we could talk about at that pre-application meeting too, but at a minimum we would like you to, you know, be prepared to spend, you know, five or so minutes talking about and in introducing your agency um, and kind of generally what you all are requesting um, funds be um, used for and then for those agencies with larger requests um, ask them to go into a little bit more detail about that um, request um, with optional on-site um, visits um, included in that language as well so that that's what I heard and, and I'll, I'll put together some language to kind of reflect that um, in that introduction introduction section for you to consider. Perfect, thank you. <clears throat> Any other comments on this particular topic? Hearing none, the, the last issue that, that I have on my list for consideration on, on the application is, is the issue of uh, creation of a scoring matrix. I know that whenever I put together, whenever I review any of these kinds of applications, I create my own scoring matrix because not seeing one, I've got, you know, when you have more than two or three things to consider, it, it becomes very helpful. Um, do we want to create a means of having a uniform scoring matrix for all of us? Uh, comments, please. Mandy Enfield here. I think we have to have a standard um, standard criteria for for judging these in a in a matrix or worksheet to help us evaluate it. Um, so if we want to claim that we're we're being fair and ethical. Joda Totten, board member. I think that's re reasonable. At the same time, um, as mentioned, some of these agencies, you know, are asking for $9,000. They have very low budgets. Would we be flexible in that matrix to, to a certain extent? Uh, because some of 
some of them aren't going to be able aren't going to be able to provide you know part of the consideration that I make is more emotional than rational um, so that's just one thing that I would hope that there's enough uh, flexibility in the matrix to um, sort of throw factor that in Peter Carter chair I believe that we have got other groups that are using matrices and hopefully there would be um, something that could be applied to to the sort of review that we're doing. Danielle, is that the case? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Uh, yes. There are um, other processes that do use um, a matrix of some sort. Uh, the Affordable Housing Advisory Board is one that uh, they have a pretty robust uh, scoring matrix. Um, we used one um, as staff for um, CDBG um, allocations as well as the general fund allocations um, that I think are could be could be applied to this. I would ask if there's anything that you all would like to make sure is included in that matrix. Um, to share that now so that we can get that included on the front end um, for you all to review with, with the application. My recommendation would be to include that scoring matrix with the actual application so that agencies know exactly the criteria that's going to be used, uh, the language, all of, all of that. So um, anything that you all want to make sure is included in that, um, now would be a really good time to have that conversation as well. Mandy Enfield here. Um, I I think it would be great if we had set aside some time to review the the matrix um, before and and talk about it once it's drafted. Um, I have for another uh, grant thing that I did that was not a, a city project designed a matrix for accessibility and and getting new applicants um, and. Uh, being Friday morning, I can't remember details about exactly what was in it. I have it somewhere, but I know the the bonus point section is always like a safety net for um, being able to say like, oh no, our matrix, you know, really doesn't fit this application right. There are things we didn't think of. The application's wonderful, and and our um, our uh, uh, ranking system did not, you know, foresee. This. So there's a bonus point section. You can say like, this is a young organization, has a lot of potential. It's doing this thing that we didn't anticipate and, you know, this many bonus points. Um, but yeah, we. I think uh, the matrix designed in mind to be fair to, to all applicants. Um, and that'll be, that'll be a, a challenge uh, that we can, we can work through. Uh, Peter Carter, Chair, uh, when when I was on the CDBG committee, um, we did not have um, a scoring matrix. Staff may have had a scoring matrix that they used, but but we did not have one. Um, I think what might make sense at this point, Danielle, is if you would not mind sending us the CDBG scoring matrix. And then we could individually send you written modifications of that form. Would that be a, a reasonable way to, to move forward? Because, of course, you know, it will be, you know, uh, uh, clients or number of clients served a uh, uh, dollar. And then then 
after you get through the 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 quantitative impact, then you get into the much squishier um, subjective measures that I don't have many suge uh, suggestions on, but would love to see the CDBG matrix that staff uses. Uh, this is Neil Bushcutter, staff liaison. Um, we, I can, I can certainly send that out, um, and it will be included in the agenda packet for your next meeting, so that we can have that conversation with you all in the room and and kind of discuss, you know, that that matrix kind of publicly. Um, I would say it it um, includes some of your standard kind of components um, in terms of you know how well. And I'm using kind of the modified version because CDBG has some additional federal guidelines that apply very specifically to federal funding that do not necessarily apply well here. But um, some of those kind of general categories are things like um, how well does it align with the intended purpose? So that would be, you know, how well is this aligning with Charter Ordinance 33? Um, there is um, kind of a criteria in there about um, coordination of efforts and how well are our efforts coordinated between this agency and, and other agencies in our community. Um, there, I think, is a section related to, um, um, no, I'm drawing a blank. I think there's five sections. There's another one related to cost per person served. Oh yeah, yep. Number of of uh, clients served. Um, there's another one related to, and I should, I might be able to pull it up um, if I if you give me a couple minutes. Um, another section kind of related to. Um, it is right on the tip of my tongue. Let me see if I can pull it up and share it with you all. Um, and I can actually share my screen. Um, we talked about it at a city commission meeting not too long ago. And now, of course, I can visualize it, but I can't quite see those other criteria. So give me just a second, and, and I'll give you something to react to. Peter Carter, Chair, that would be excellent. The, uh, uh, once we get a scoring matrix, it might also be helpful to reflect that scoring matrix to the people who will be judged by it. You know, we're talking about having a checklist on the application form so that people know that it's important for, to us that there be a 990. But at the same time, you know, I think it's also very important to us. It, this is a, a way to help communicate to the agencies that these are our priorities, you know, how well do you do uh, uh, align with uh, Ordinance 33 and, and those sorts of things. Um, it can be a, a way to in reinforce the way they make their applications. Uh, Tim, do you want to remember? Um, I, I definitely would want to I mean, definitely important that we talk through what the matrix will look like. I guess I'm not seeing the bigger difference between having the checklist of what they need and the matrix we're discussing. Sorry, I got some lag going on because the reason being, you know, we send these out to these groups. They have a checklist of exactly what they need. And they'll be up to us once they give their presentation, which 
I've been quiet because I like everything I've heard before, but I feel like this might be jumbling it up when they have a checklist, they know exactly what they need, they present it to us, then it's there for us to decide. This is Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Um, let me go ahead and share my screen uh, so that you all can kind of see um, what we used for the general fund um, uh, applications. Um, and this may help um, kind of provide some of that um, kind of general, general guidance. Um, and I think get Tim at a little bit of what you were talking about, about you know submitting a full and incomplete application, which I know you all have talked about as well. Um, so this is the um, or the uh, scoring matrix that we utilize. So the coordination of efforts, the alignment to the priorities, uh, the quantifiable um, outcomes, um, as well as the uh, need for the service uh, that has been identified, that equity consideration in terms of who is who is impacted, um, and then kind of that cost reasonableness um, component. And then this is where um, we got, we didn't necessarily get into um, did they submit their application in full, but we had this section about intangibles. Um, and I think this is where we could include something like that to make sure um, that everything on that checklist was um, was submitted and, and is available to you all as you consider everything. Um, but we did include this past performance. Um, and so that was, did everything get submitted on time and, and in full? Um, so that was really more related to the um, annual report and some of those criteria, not necessarily that the application on the front end was submitted on time and in full. Um, but this is the um, scoring matrix that, that we utilized and, and could be some of those criteria that you all consider um, in this discussion as well. Peter Carter Chair, that's, that looks, it's more detailed than anything I've put together on my own. That, that looks really good. Other comments? Randy Infield here. I uh, really like that you added a description for the category um, so folks know like what that, what that judgment um, or criteria means. Peter Carter Chair, I could use this, Danielle. <laughs> uh, Danielle Bush Carter, staff liaison. Um, if 
if there is a general consensus, we could certainly modify this to be more specifically tied to um, this application process. But um, if you all are kind of comfortable using these categories, generally speaking, the description, generally speaking, um, we can use this as kind of our framework that we bring back to you all. I think one of the things that I heard that I don't necessarily see reflected here are um, those intangibles. Uh, there aren't any points kind of tied or associated to that. I know Mandy kind of talked a little bit about kind of bonus points. Um, and I think that's something that um, anytime you have a scoring matrix is always kind of brought up and um, different, different groups do it a little bit differently. So I think that's one of the things that isn't necessarily reflected here that we could get added um, for you all to consider as part of that full kind of application packet at your next meeting. Um, unless there's anything that you definitely want that you don't see here or something you see here that you definitely don't want. Um, this may be a good, a good starting point and you all can kind of sit with it for a little while and um, kind of think about how it may, may apply to this application process. Mandy and Field here, and I apologize, I think we've already said this, um, but I, I wanna make sure, um, especially related to Tim, Tim's uh, comment that we do add a, a quality and completeness of the application materials or something of that nature. Um, and then the guidelines will be, should include that it's not necessarily, you know, judging folks on their computer skills or their technical abilities to, to provide a beautiful or well-formatted application, but a complete application that provides the information um, that we need. Very good. Um, agreed. You know, I, I was thinking of the, the intangibles as being the place that you would put some of the, the emotional component. Um, and obviously that's the place where past performance would go as well. Okay. Um, Danielle, how would this, how would you like us to, uh, what would be most helpful for you with regard to, to this checklist or scoring matrix? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter Staff Liaison, I think just getting a kind of general consensus from you all that with the addition of that complete and full application language um, and, and maybe some other language in that intangibles to get at um, some of those other kind of qualitative um, um, components to the application, I think with that direction we can bring something back for you all to consider. Um, I do think having something in there that is a little bit more qualitative may be helpful for you all, even in having conversations about this in particular. Um, you can see the past performance and it is it is strict in that um, did, did, were all of those objectives met as initially identified? Um, did they have full compliance with the reporting? Typically this isn't an issue, but when you are talking about um, this reflecting on 2020 um, and a lot of agencies having to kind of deal with and, and be very, very nimble with their response to COVID, 
a lot of the past performance did show up as not meeting um, expectations and requirements because it talked about getting X number of volunteers in the door and, and that's not how um, services were provided in 2020. So I think it's, it's just recognizing some of that, that with a, a scoring matrix, um, having something in there about those um, kind of qualitative side, I think would be um, um, an added bonus. So I think I heard that and kind of heard general consensus. So um, if that is an accurate um, kind of report out of what you all are comfortable with, I think that gives us enough direction to bring you back something to consider um, at your next meeting. So I'll, so I'll stop sharing my screen so we can see um, some faces. General comments. Uh, this is Joda, board member. Um, this might be a really stupid question, but if if I understand this correctly, are we sending this matrix to the applicants? That was my first question. I may have missed out on that. Um, and the second question is, if we are, do we want to show the the pointing the the point system? Um, just which might influence how they are um, filling out their application. Am I just being cynical? Um, did you understand what I mean? Peter Carter chair, my, my sit, no, Joda, that's, that's a great question. And I think it's really important that, that we be clear on this. At least what I was suggesting was that we score the agencies based on this, and we sh don't share that information outside of Danielle. <laughs> but but um, the, the scoring is something that we would use for ourselves. The, the how we are scoring people, the unfilled out sheet is something that we would absolutely be very willing to share with the agencies so that they will know what's important to us. Uh, this is Joda, board member. That basically was my question. I had to step away for a moment and didn't know whether you'd covered that. I know that the scoring sheet would be something that we would use, but I thought that there was conversation perhaps of sending um, a copy of this with the packet that uh, the applicants complete. So if I misunderstood that, then I'm sorry. Um, but if I, if I didn't misunderstand it, I just think it would be important that they don't see the point, the rating system. So this may be a, a question that doesn't have to be answered at all. Just, you know, just, just me being, tardy with um, having to step away from the, the meeting. Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. I can kind of talk through how these been used with other boards, um, just kind of process-wise, um, just so that um, you all can kind of talk through if, if that is kind of your expectation as well. Um, so what we have done um, with some of the other agencies that, or some of the other boards that do use um, a scoring matrix like this um, is include that matrix with the application so that agencies know what they're being scored on. Um, and then 
have a um, kind of that really long meeting where you would ask agencies to um, come and to present um, their applications. You all can ask any questions. Um, and then typically after that, what we have seen is uh, each of the board members will kind of put together their scoring sheet. Um, staff will then compile all of that, provide all of that information to the board at, at a follow-up meeting, typically a couple weeks later, um, so that you can kind of see um, and, and they're publicly available, but you can see uh, what scores were provided. And then once you have the scores, you can then get into that conversation about your funding recommendations and kind of talk through um, how all you would like to kind of proceed with the actual funding um, allocation itself. But that's typically how um, I have seen this happen with other boards. So the scoring sheets, um, are ultimately made uh, publicly available so that you all can have that conversation as a board in terms of um, what scored the highest um, and kind of talk about how that funding recommendation is gonna look based on those scores that have been provided. Uh, Peter Carter, Chair, uh, point of clarification, Danielle. Um, when the scores are made public, are they aggregated or are they individual scoring sheets? Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison, I, uh, both. So there would be kind of the aggregate um, total, but then um, have that supplemental kind of uh, information of the, the individual scores as well. Okay, good to know. Uh, then that would affect how we fill the, yep. the, the sheets out as well. And perfect. This is Casey Toomey, oh. assistant. There we go. This is Casey Toomey, Assistant City Manager. Danielle, I think um, typically we don't necessarily associate names. It's like reviewer one, reviewer two. So it wouldn't say Peter gave X agency a four. It would be a little bit more general than that. Thank you. Well, excellent discussion. Uh, Danielle, do you have everything that uh, you need so that we can leave it in your very capable hands? Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Um, I think the conversation has been great. Uh, you've, you've given a lot of good direction. So I think we have what we need to at least get something drafted and get it back in front of you so that you can react to it. I think that's always a little bit easier than, than talking about it kind of in at a high level in gener generality. So I think I have what I need to get you that for our next meeting. So thank you very much for the discussion. Fantastic. Um, I believe that that is um, the, the last of our listed agenda items. The next agenda uh, item is um, new business. Is there any new business to discuss? Mandy Enfield here. I just had one more thing on the application. Um, I'm looking at the, the PDF one that has the the red, the edits in red that's with a strike where we've struck out the like, enforcement. Is that the, that's what we're, that, I'm on the right document, right? Danielle that, you, that was linked in the agenda. 
Yep, uh-huh. Danielle Bushcutter staff liaison. Yes, that is correct um, version. And all I did in that version was strike the language based on the conversation that you all had at your last meeting about Charter Ordinance 33, um, which is currently being reviewed by our uh, city attorney's office, um, and then update the dates. So I will modify that document once again based on our discussion today, and, and you'll have an updated version of that, both a redlined version and a clean version for your consideration at the next meeting. I I just had one thought I wanted to add, um, now that I know I'm on the right one, that since we struck the law enforcement language, um, should we strike the law enforcement category? Yes. It seems kind of random if there isn't any introduction language related to it that they would get their own category. Um, it, that's one thought, but then also would we like to... Um, no, never mind. Not my. I don't have a second thought. I just. I. I don't know that that we need us us them to have a whole line as a category if it's not um, up above. Agreed. Thank you for catching that, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Peter Carter, chair. Very good. Thanks, Mandy. Um, now, are we ready for new business? I have no new business. And do we, uh, Danielle, do we have any public comment? Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Nope, there is nobody in the room with us uh, this morning. Excellent. Then the next item is calendar. Our next meeting is scheduled for when? August? And Danielle, do you see this as being the point at which we would discuss the applications? You know, it's thinking of the calendar in general. The first first year I was on um, what the uh, Social Services Funding Advisory Board, um, I think we must have completed our application reviews as early as end of April. It, it was a completely different um, schedule. And, and I know that COVID and everything has really thrown uh, turned the world upside down and shaken it. But uh, I was wondering, um, should we be tracking toward modifying our schedule to accommodate the budgeting process a little early in the earlier in the year? And if so, how would you suggest we get there, Danielle? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Um, so yes, we have modified the process um, a little bit based on our budget process. So um, the history of that is uh, we would typically try to have you all make a recommendation in terms of the actual agencies and what funding allocation um, you all would recommend so that we could include that in the adopted budget. And typically, uh, it changed this year, but typically um, in the state of Kansas, our adopted budget for the upcoming year had to be um, adopted and certified to the county in by uh, August 25th of every year. 
Uh, there has uh, since been legislation that has changed that date a little bit, um, but that was really the goal that we had as a board. However, in one of those years, um, in the deliberation process that happened with the city commission after recommendations had been made by you all, uh, they actually said, look, we want to spend down fund balance of the special alcohol fund. Um, so instead of allocating X number of dollars, we actually want the board to go back and uh, recommend, make a recommendation for Y dollars. Um, so it was a really, uh, I think, probably refreshing exercise for the board to do at the time to um, oh, provide a recommendation for additional funding. Um, but at that point, we said, you know what? It may be cleaner and easier so that you all don't have to go through that process twice in the future if we include a lump sum in the city manager's recommended budget, get that adopted, and then you all can come back with a recommendation once we have that amount finalized. Um, and I think that's been a little bit cleaner just so we don't have... Um, it's nice when that is uh, what happens and we have to allocate more dollars, but it becomes a lot more challenging if the inverse were to happen and we say um, we aren't able to actually allocate as much as we initially thought uh, based on receiving you know, an additional allocation or what have you. Um, so that's why we have kind of modified this process so that um, you all are actually making recommendations after we know the amount that is included in the adopted budget. Um, so that's part of the history and, and why we've kind of changed the timing of this a little bit. Um, we will, by August 20th, um, like I mentioned, um, the state of Kansas passed legislation um, this year that impacts this budget process. So um, we will likely not have an adopted budget by August 20th, but we'll have a pretty good idea of, of the amount that is included in there. Um, so I think it's still a good opportunity for you all to review that funding application um, you'll also review uh, the 2020 annual report um, and then discuss um, any changes you want to make to the annual report for 2021. Um, but that will allow us to, it will allow you to approve a final application. And then when we uh, have that notice go out, um, probably a couple months later, depending on timing, um, letting the agencies know that the uh, application is available, we'll have that dollar amount um, as a known value instead of as just a recommended value. That was probably a longer-winded answer than you uh, were expecting, but that was kind of the, the history of it. Peter Carter, Chair. Uh, no, that, that was great. Thank you very much. I, I, we were along for the ride with the, the change in the schedule, and, and as is the case with the agencies, you know, we, we want to minimize the harm that we do in, in how we do our business. So we don't want to back you up against a wall. That's kind of our bottom line. Um, so um, the next meeting is what, August 20. Is that uh, how it shows for you, uh, Danielle? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, staff liaison. Yes, that is our next uh, regularly scheduled meeting. Um, I will note that as you all are considering that 2022 funding application, we will include a full calendar in that as well, um, with likely a proposed um, meeting in there for you all to that long kind of four hour meeting for you all to to actually have those presentations. So um, we will include that calendar. Um, so we may have an additional meeting um, in there. But yes, the next meeting is August 20th. Uh, this is Joda Totten, board member. 
I regretfully cannot attend that meeting. Um, so if you need a forum for any reason, you may want to um, not factor me in to that forum. I will be out of town on August 20th. Peter Carter Chair, so advised. Um, it seems we are ready for adjournment. Uh, last meeting, I don't believe we, we required uh, a motion for adjournment. I guess that's our, our relatively new process. So I'd like to thank all of you for attending and, and for the great discussion we had today. And, and Casey and Danielle, thank you very, very much for what you do. And uh, I guess we will look forward to communicating with you individually by email uh, until we meet in August. Wonderful. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks, all. Meeting adjourned.